The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What is it about this lousy Washington Commanders team that gives the Eagles fits? I cannot figure it out, but I guess it doesn't matter. I know all of you are thinking the same thing. The Eagles do survive, however. They win today 38-31 in D.C. Welcome to the Pond Hockey Eagles postgame show. We are live from Ocean Casino. I'm Mike Missanelli with my cohorts Derek Gunn and the All-Pro number 59, Seth Joyner. Lot to process in this game, but... Let's focus, first of all, on the turning point of this game. And it came in the fourth quarter as the Eagles got a tying touchdown to a wide-open Devontae Smith. And then they get the big turner over they've been looking for all day on a Reed Blankenship interception of Sam Howell, who otherwise had a great day. They turned that into a touchdown by Julio Jones. And that was really all the points they needed to win this game. There was some silliness at the end where the teams traded touchdowns. But, uh, guys, uh, another survival against the commanders uh, and d-gun listen you, you gotta you gotta answer this mystery for me why <laughs> why, this, why this team that that could, couldn't beat the giants or looked terrible against the giants last yeah, week yeah. can play good football against the eagles you know mike historically there's always that one team that seems to have that other team's number whether they win or lose and washington is that team for the eagles for whatever reason the eagles are washington's super bowl now, we analyzed this game all week, and all I'm thinking is the Eagles are going to rack up seven, eight sacks. If, if the Giants could get six on Sam Howell, the Eagles' defense is going to get at least seven or eight. They got, what, one? But it was the timely one. So I give it was the timely sack. It, it came timely to the, sack. at the end of the game. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah. could, they pressured him a little bit. They hit him a little bit, but they didn't get the sack on him. I mean, he, he looked like Joe Montana, Dude, the I'm, guy in this game. Mike, the, the Eagles lose the first down battle. They give up 472 yards of offense to Washington. They lose time of possession. They don't barely run the football. Washington beats them in the running game. And yet the Eagles are on the winning side of the ledger. But, Mike, you know what? When you look at this Eagles team, each and every week, for the most part, except maybe the Tampa Bay game, it's not the prettiest play football, but it's winning football, Mike. They find a way to win games. They come up with the big plays when they have to. A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, somebody's making it. DeAndre Swift, somebody's making a big play. Jalen Hurts, big throw. It's just something about this team. You you can knock them down, but you cannot count them out. Yeah, you know, and, and I think we take that for granted most of the time. Seth, you know, I'm, I'm listening to people here at Ocean Casino, uh, and 
the Eagles have won the game, and they're lamenting. Well, what about that secondary? I can't believe this. <laughs> so, 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 you know, the way that the Commanders started this game was an easy formula. They were going to throw short passes to yeah. move the football yeah. that way. Uh, and so, how did the Eagles allow them to do that? Well, you know, the same thing that the Eagles the same. The game plan looked the same as the first game, and I think that's why you know. Um, they were able to put up another 31 points on them all over again is because the Eagles' mode of operation is to play off with your cornerback and try to let your 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 DBs, well, try to let your defensive line get there and get pressure, you know. So all game long, Sam Howell's standing back there throwing the ball on rhythm and throwing them on time because they're not disrupting the routes of the, of the wide receivers. They're not getting up and challenging people at the line of scrimmage. They're just playing off. You know, you can't play against a team like that. Sam Howell's proven to you in the last time you played him that he could do this. Um, And even when they got into their zone situations, you know, there's a difference between dropping to a zone, dropping to a landmark, and looking at the quarterback, and dropping to a zone, but being aware of what players are around you and matching up with the players that's around you. And what I saw the Eagles linebackers at the second level of the Eagles defense do today is that they would drop to a landmark and they're looking at Sam Howell and Sam Howell is throwing the ball to the right or to their left because you got guys that get behind the, the, that second level and he's just peppering them just everywhere that you can turn. Um, the Eagles have got to figure out a way to develop, you know, a system of match, zone match so that they can match up with some some of these wide receivers in some of these situations because, you know, if not, that's going to be the blueprint. And when you start playing against these better teams, you got the Cowboys next week. You come back off of that, you got Kansas City. You got, the, you got Buffalo. You got the 49ers. And then you got the Cowboys again. Those passing attacks against this style of defense will get them beat more, more times than not if they don't figure out a way how to shore things up quite a bit better than they did today. I mean, mm-hmm. it, to your point, it wasn't, it was not a pretty win by any stretch. And I'm just as miffed about this as to why it is Washington gives them so much more of a headache than anybody, any other team in the National the, Football The Eagles are, are really a, a mystery team because I don't think – one week carries over to the other. Like, we're looking at this like, oh, they got secondary problems. Like, next week they may come out and look completely different and be sharp as hell. Uh, and so, I, like, I don't know how to react to this team. But, but let's, let's react to Sam Howell, first of all. Uh, he went 39 of 52 for 397 and four touchdowns today. He, he, was, he was sacked once, as we talked about before. It was a big sack. But you're talking about a, a guy who had 40 sacks coming into this game. He sacked 40 times. He was on... He was on pace for an all-time NFL record, and he decided, or the, or the staff decided, we got to get this guy to get the ball out of his hands quick. A- and they did it. Now, at one point, the commanders took a 24-17 lead. It was the fourth quarter when he hit Logan Thomas for a TD on a third-and-goal situation, and he got inside Blankenship. Blankenship would come back and make a big play later. At that point, D-Gun, how yeah. was 33 for 39, to 304 yeah. in yeah. three TDs with zero sacks. And the commanders, terrible on third downs all season, were 7 of 10 converting third downs, and they had the 24-17 lead. Yeah, you know what? They have been chastised for so long 
as an offensive line for being so porous, you know, usually when you have a bad game, coaches make adjustments, in this case line adjustments, uh, line calls, um, sliding the line protection one way or the other. But because this offensive line was so bad and they had so many injuries, basically whatever they tried just didn't work. And the Giants exposed them last week. So whatever line changes, line calls they made for this week against one of the best pass rushes in the National Football League, it decides to work on this particular day. I mean, at one point, Sam Howell was like 18 of 19, and I'm thinking, is this dude Joe Montana or what? He was picking his – now, he was picking that defense apart, Mike, and this is what's scary. If Sam Howell is picking his defense apart like this past defense, you don't think somebody else is going to try to duplicate this with better personnel, better quarterbacks, better strategy? Eagles can win a shootout, but you don't want to have to rely on shootouts each and every week. You just don't in this league because that's more detrimental than good for you. Yeah. But I don't think we, we're, we're happy that Howie goes out and get Kevin Byard. I don't think the pass defense is going to be any better than what we saw. I really don't. You know, and, and it's a good point because we keep going back to the fact that they had to play some young and inexperienced guys. But sure. they had Bradbury and Slay in yes. the game today. Yes. And they had Byard. I know, listen, he's only been there for a couple of days, so I get it. Right. But, that, but they should have been – at least when you look on paper, a little more solid back there. So yes. I, I guess it is a cause for concern. But, again, like this team, I wipe away one week to the next because you, you the next know. week they could c- come out and play like champions. You, you don't know. And, Mike, here they sit at 7-1. and one. We sit here and we scratch our heads. How did they get to 7-1? and one? But you look at the numbers they put up offensively. You look at the big plays they make defensively. They were the best run defense in the league, as porous as they were in the past game. They're the best run defense in the National Football League. All right, Seth, you want some good and bad? Let me give you a little good and bad, right? Here's here's the good. A.J. Brown sets an NFL record today with his sixth game, straight game, with 125 or more yards. The guy is just a flat-out monster out there. And Devontae Smith had an incredible game. The bad, two fumbles lost inside their five-yard line. Yes. And they still win this game. You know, I'm telling you, the Eagles are a turnover machine. You know, they started off protecting the ball early in the season, and the defense was on pace, you know, with almost two to two and a half turnovers per game. And now it seems like the Eagles are leading the way. Every single week, you got two to two and a half turnovers by this team every single week. And it's like, what is the message that Nick Sirianni is sending this team? Because as as a head coach, I am livid right about now because you can't turn the ball over at the clip that they're turning it over and expect to keep winning. They are lucky to be 7-1 and one as many times as they've turned, over, turned the ball over the last three, four weeks. They've defied the odds. You know, it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You get Gainwell down there to begin with. He fumbles the ball. I mean, the, the Eagles could have easily scored 45, 50 points today if they don't have these two turnovers right. down, down in the red zone. But it makes no sense whatsoever that you're not protecting the ball. It makes no sense whatsoever you know, for Jalen Hurts not to secure the ball in a tush push. How many times does he run that play? On the goal line and you fumble the ball in a tush push down on the goal line? I just, you know, see, these are the things that continue to worry me. And I talked about it last week how, like you said, I'm trying to sit back and I'm trying to just enjoy the fact that this football team has only got one loss and enjoy the fact that they're playing as well as they're playing. But the fact of the matter is, I've been around this game way, way, way too long, you know, to not be aware of the circumstances and the situation. 
how you play from week to week is essentially a preview of how you're going to play in the most critical of times, especially how you play when you're under pressure. Because when you're under pressure, you always revert back to those things that you do, you know, um, when you're under pressure. So at what point in time are we going to get that version of the Eagles that don't allow these pressurized situations, you know, to put them in this, this position? Here's a concern of mine watching this game. It's obvious that Jalen Hurts is hurt, mm-hmm. and he's been he's hobbling around now. Oh, oh, wait, Mike. Oh, there's too much being made of this. Oh, uh, yeah, Jalen, there's, Jalen's not hurt. There's not it, too he, much being made. Fine. I, listen, I see why the Eagles want to bury this. Yes, I here. do too. But but he he's obviously hobbled to the point where he he wasn't interested in scrambling out of the pocket today. And I wondered, Seth, if you see that as a defensive coordinator, do you not just come with heat all the time? He sat back there. He was able. To hit guys like uh, A.J. Brown with some time. And in fact, at one point, it was late in the fourth quarter, he was 15 for 15 for 228 and three TDs when he targeted A.J. and Devontae. So every every time he targeted was a completion because he sat back and was allowed to deliver that without the threat of him being able to run out of the pocket. And I was surprised that Washington didn't put more heat on. Listen, I, I, I'm one of those people. That, listen, first of all, they couldn't do it because A.J. was torturing them. You know, you can't bring pressure unless you've got a guy that you can put him on AJ and say, okay, you got him, and we're not worried about it. The truth of the matter is it didn't matter whether it was, you know, which whether it was Forbes, you know, or what's the other guy's name? Um, uh, Kurt Kyle Fuller? No, St. Juice. St. Juice, yeah. It, it doesn't matter, either one. You know, neither one of those guys could cover him one-on-one, so you can't put those guys out on the island. The minute that Jalen Hurts sees it, you saw in the fourth down situation, you know, he went deep with the ball and got the P.I., you know, where he should have been trying to get the first down. But anytime that he gets that matchup, he's going to his number one guy. He also needs time to do that. Yeah, so but I'm you know saying what? Maybe you don't give it. Because other teams, you see how they, they wanted to go after Jalen Hurts. Get on him quick. And I think the Redskins kind of, like, they had a golden opportunity, and they – they pulled off of that concept. Well, I will say this. Washington did bring uh, a number of blitz packages. Eagles offensive line and the running backs did a great job uh, of stepping up and, and stopping that blitz and giving Jalen Hurts a few extra seconds to throw. That was a huge difference between success and failure in this game. The number of times Washington would try to bring a safety or corner up in the middle, somebody was there to meet him. They would try to bring a pressure from the edge, somebody was there to stonewall him. So that Eagles front did a very good job of them keeping heat off of Jalen Hurts, they're going to have to do that consistently the rest of the way. Mike, now, I don't I don't mind Jalen Hurts playing the game from the pocket yeah. the way he did. Well, you've been talking about that all year. No, I just, I, listen, I don't I, I think the only way that he puts up these types of numbers is from the pocket. You know, I don't want to see him run. He still had what? Um, he still had four carries today for six yards. And in my mind, that's too many because how many of those? Okay, so you had the two tush pushes, and he had one one real scramble. Okay, I don't want to see him run the football. That's what you got running backs for. Yeah, but the idea that he can run the ball, I think, is really important when right. you're trying to right. defend him. And if they, if you look at the tape here, and he's hobbling around, that's this by I, I can't get come it quickly enough. I that, get it, and and, I, and even though he's hobbled. There's still going to be times and there's still going to be situations in games where the only opportunity that they're going to have in that moment and then in that time is for him to take off and run. But I would rather him play from the pocket, you know, and I would rather them I, I would rather them have to prepare for it 
and not see it, and then as a surprise, you spring it on them, and they and they use it where they have to use it. But I want him playing from the pocket. I do not want to see my quarterback in Jalen Hurts out there running all over the place, and you call him, you know, 15, 16, you know, run plays for him a game. It's, it's just the, you're you're asking for trouble. The fact that he had four carries for only six yards is direct indication that something's wrong. Absolutely. Those four carries in the past would have been for 35, 40 yards, okay? So coordinators are going to start picking on this up. Watch them start scheming him a little bit different. You know, now that they know that he's reluctant to run, you're going to see you still got Steve Spagnola coming up. You got Dan Quinn coming up. These these coordinators. They're go- Dallas's defense is coming after him. I'm telling you that right now. They're, they have one of the fastest fronts in the NFL. They're going to force the issue with Jalen in a lot of different ways. And I can't wait to see how the Eagles offense responds to what Dallas tries to do against them next week. There, there were a couple uh, of passes. We were talking about Sam Howell, but there, there were two really glaring drops in this game where he didn't deliver the football to Terry McLaurin. Now, a good pro receiver probably makes both of those catches, which would have helped him. That's, that drive stalled because right, of that. Right. Uh, but, but I thought by the end, Howell got a little skittish. He didn't deliver those balls uh, on time the way he had delivered most of them. I think once he threw that interception, it, it changed his perspective because he went out there and played a near flawless game up to that point. Um, in, in a crucial situation, in a tight game like that, all of a sudden, Anything after that, you want to be a little bit extra cautious, with cause, which causes you, number one, to miss that window of separation, or number two, hold the ball a little bit longer for a defense to get to you. Now, he made a beautiful throw in a touchdown at the end to get them within seven, a meaningless touchdown. But after that, you could tell there was a little bit different difference in, in terms of how he delivered the ball down the field after that. Seth, they ran the ball four times in the first half. <laughs> I know, like you look at that, that number and you go, uh, I, you know, they, they actually started to, to run it a little bit in the third quarter. They made it a point to run the football. I, I don't understand how those kind of things happen. Well, because it's their initiative. You know, it's like I said, they, they want to they want to throw the football. There's just no doubt about it. And they firmly believe that if they throw the football enough and they get enough of a lead that they can get to a point in the in the fourth quarter where they can run the ball and run the clock out you know i mean they got down after they went up by seven they had to turn around and give the ball back again you know why because they ran it on first down they got one yard they went incomplete on incomplete on second down incomplete on third down and they had to punt the ball you know and then here we go all over again and the only only way that they really get the ball back again when they go up by 14 is that Washington turns it over on down, and then they run it in, you know, for, for the other touchdown. But it's just they, they are defiant in, in a way, you know, to the fact that, you know, they need to and should run the football. I, it's very peculiar, but everybody and everybody who's watching at home is saying the same thing. You look at social media. What if they run the damn ball? Why did they run the ball? And they just well, you know what's they run the ball. And, when, Kenneth, and Kenneth, they gave the ball to Kenneth Gainwell yeah. or they gave the ball to Swift in the first half. He got crushed. Well, when it's 7-0, 7-3, you still run the football to control the clock. Try to Now, when it's 14-3, you understand. You're trying to get back in the game in a hurry. But it's 7-0, 7-3. The fact that they still only had four carries is inexcusable. <laughs> I, I don't understand this because they have the offensive line, the running backs, to pound the stuffings out of a lot of defense. 
and yet this team will play into a defense's hands in a lot of cases. Can I can I share something with you guys? Somebody sent me something um, about Kenneth Gainwell and his fumble, and at halftime he was actually on his phone arguing with somebody via text about something that they said on social media uh, about Kenneth him. Gainwell was yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I got the I got the, I got the Instagram post right here on my phone, you know. So, um, my thing is, and I tweeted it. I, I'm over, I'm over the Kenneth Gainwell experience. I'm, I just am, you know. I don't understand what the Eagles' fascination is with him any longer. I, I'm just, I really am not, you know. I feel bad for Bart for Boston Scott. Because I think that Boston Scott can be a viable option for this team. Not only will he stick his face in there and will he protect, but he runs the ball well. He catches the ball well out of the, out of the backfield, D-gun. And I just feel like yeah. they want Kenneth Gainwell to succeed so bad. Because he's a draft pick. I don't care, but he's not okay. productive. All right, listen, let, let me ask you this then. What are you seeing from Kenneth? Because let's be honest, us – as well as everybody across Eagles land last year, love the Kenneth Gainwell we saw down the stretch into the playoffs. He's not giving you that level okay. of play right so, now. So what is he missing then that we're, that we're not seeing from him? Because I still think he runs with the same style. I think he catches with the same style. I think he blocks with the same style. So what is it that you're seeing that I'm not seeing from his overall game? Well, I see him, seeing him miss the block last week, you know, that almost got Jalen Hurts killed. So first of all, neither one of our, our, our top two backs, neither one of them protect well. Neither one of them can block all that great. Boston Scott can do that. Now, you talk about what is he not doing? He's not producing, you know. How many times do we get down on the goal line or we're down in the red zone? on first down, and they turn around, they hand the ball to Kenneth Gainwell, zero yards, mm -hmm. okay? Now, I realize the guy's got to open up something for him, you know, but there's no production there. What kind of production? We've seen him catch one ball today and do something productive. The rest of the time, zero, zero. I, I and then, get, and then you got that. Boston Scott, you know, a guy that can play and can be productive, and you don't give him no I, run I'm a Boston all. Scott fan. I just, it I makes no sense to me. I need to back the truck up here for a second. Because you said something that I'm trying to ha hard to process. You're telling me that he's responding to a fan saying something about yeah, his I ability on that. the field on a on a cell phone at halftime. At halftime. Oh, no, at halftime in no, the half locker time. room. In the locker room. He's looking at his Instagram. Mike, I'm no, wait, well, hold it. Yeah, got you covered the NFL yeah, for a really Mike, long time. I'm gonna tell you something, Mike. I'm not gonna say any names, but through the years. When I've asked players about certain injuries or something like that, I've had players text me back at halftime in a game and give me an answer to a question in my head. Now, I did it initially as a, as a joke just to see. All of a sudden, I look down at my phone. I'm having a conversation with somebody at halftime. And in most, not in most cases, it was in a losing situation when they were behind. So instead of talking to their coaches, going over stuff, they're talking to me back and forth about right. I, I can almost like buy that because you're respected and they're giving you information that right. uh, is that they're saying. not arguing with a fan. No, no, no. I know. About, but about you, sh you shouldn't have anything to do with a phone. Your phone should be locked well, away. I, 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 mean, I understand. I, like, I'm, I'm, I don't like I'm not that old school, but yeah. I got to think yeah. that, that, that coaches, but, but he's got it right there. Like, like, wouldn't coaches prohibit – can they prohibit something like that? I'm stunned by this. They should have a rule against it. 
Mike, I mean, you, I, I just you see this. I, but, I don't, but I don't understand. Right, don't, don't, okay. don't say anything, uh, but all, all just right. take a look at it. Uh, but he's, re- he's replying – to, he's replying to a fan. Unbelievable. I'm stunned by that. I really am. And, uh, you know, that, that's got to be some kind of a story for calling somebody Rash- that comes calling to Rashad team. Penny. I, I, calling I mean, Rashad Penny. Calling Rashad Penny. Listen, man. I, I, I can't I just, get over it. It's, my, my thing is, the only reason I bring that up because it's like, you know, where's your focus as a player, you know, is my deal. When you're on the field, like, like this is your livelihood. This is what you do for a living, you know, and you're so concerned with what everybody else has got to say. If you're not focused on the field, then what plays into that a little bit of, you know, what's going on right. in, the, in the locker room at halftime? How can you be focused on what it is that you're supposed to be doing when you're worried about what the hell somebody's saying about you on social media somewhere? It makes no sense to me. I, 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 this is the most stunning thing I've heard all all year that we're doing this show. <laughs> really, I, I can't believe it. I want to clear something up here because I don't think TV did a good job of clearing this thing up. When after the touchdown to Julio Jones, there was a penalty or an illegal hit, and, and we're thinking, well, that would bring the ball to the one yard line. Why wouldn't they go for two there with the tush push, which is unstoppable? And then he went to a commercial. And, like, we're talking about it, and, and one of our guys, Bill, said, uh, well, they're going to probably take that penalty on the kickoff. And I go, why would they do that? But as it turns out, yeah, just yeah. to clear it up, they picked up the flag. Right. Because right. we thought the same thing. Had that had that ball been set at the one, yeah. you don't have a question that they would have tried to go off for two there, right? Well, considering what we saw in another tush push, I don't know, Mike. <laughs> well, I mean, no, but I agree with you 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's no question you go for two in that scenario because nobody can stop that thing, right? Yeah. And that, that makes a difference in terms of how the game flows. So you're right. But the, the fact that the refs picked that flag up, you have to take the extra point. You just have yeah. to take the extra no, point. No, I get that. And that put them up yeah. thir- 31-24. Now, they, they wound up going up 38-24. And we're, we're just kind of checked out at that point. And, and they let the commanders come down the field, score a touchdown, oh, to, oh, you know, to, make, to make it a, a, a little crazier ending than it should have been. Uh, interestingly enough, the betting line, I love the betting line, Seth. You know that? Here we go. The betting line on this game was what? Seven and a half. Wow. Yep. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so if you played the Eagles, you're not very happy at that point, right? You bet the Eagles because they allowed the commanders to come back and score a touchdown. That's hey, listen, crazy. So, oh, man. So my prediction on Thursday when the line was at six and a half, I said take the over and the six and a half with the Eagles. So if you would have bet it early in the week, you would have been fine. That was the winner. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. (laughs) (laughs) But you talk about the bad beat of people waiting to the end of the week to put their bets in. When the line goes up, you just got crushed by a half a point. (laughs) All right. The the, the commanders were up 17 to 10 uh, at halftime. But they were up 14 to 10. This is how bad the commanders are usually. Right? They're setting up for a 55-yard field goal. Right. For Joey Slide. <laughs> they get a false start. On the, so that brings it back to 61, and we're going, <laughs> 61. They just took themselves out of three. The guy bailed them out by kicking a field goal from 61. Career long. Career long to make it 17 to 10. So at that point, I'm going, it's a matter of time before this team gives it up. And, and so the Eagles' first drive in the second half, they start running the ball again, and they got a pass interference call on AJ, and there it was, all set up for him with the tush push 
and they lose the ball at the one. And you're thinking, could this be one of those games? Like the Jets game. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm like, that's the NFL for you, man. Every every game, every day, it's like a different scenario, man. You can't script this stuff. You know, some people are saying, man, the NFL is, is fixed. It's scripted. No, it's not. No, no, it's not. Now, I know somebody close to me who said the game's a fix. I'm not, I'm not going to say any names. But. I just I just asked, potentially, you know, when you look at when you look at how some of these things transpire, like, what's the – What's the chance that Sam Howell is going to throw that that touchdown to the end zone? Like, right, come on, right, man. Right. I mean, what kind of coverage are you in that you allow that to happen with a minute left on the clock? Come on, man. You know, so, I mean, sometimes, you know, it really makes you wonder when you look at how, thing, how things, you know, transpire. But as a player, I know full well, you know, I, there ain't no script. That guy's trying to take my damn head off. Yeah. A script. You know, you're out of your mind if you think that's happening. <laughs> you know, it's funny. With all the rule changes that have taken place in the NFL, the one constant is the one thing I hate about this game is, in general is when defenses go to their prevent defense because you just let people walk down the field and get themselves back in the game. And, you know, you, we can talk about all the kickoff change rules and, and, and the coverage and the strike zone. That is still an integral part of football is allowing teams – to walk back downfield. And then, of course, you don't know what could happen with a fluke, onside kick, anything like that. I hate that aspect of the game. I understand the necessity of it at times, but I hate that aspect of the game. And sure enough, they don't walk down the field and kill the betting line, Mike. Well, you know what the problem is, D-Gun? The problem is you don't have very many defensive coordinators left in today's game that really has, you know, that really has some cojones right, right. when it comes to, you know, how they coach the game. Right. You know, it, it's like um, I'm trying to remember what game it was last week where um, the 49ers, yeah, yeah. where Steve Wilkes was called into question because he called a blitz at the end of the game. Right. And the opposing team, you know, actually made a play. Now, my thing is, okay, am I supposed to play it conservative? Or am I supposed to play it more aggressive? Because if I play it conservative and the team systematically moves down the field and all of a sudden they score, what's the difference? Right. You understand what I'm saying? Right. So it's like, you know, everybody's so afraid. If I got the the elite of the elite athletes on the field. Right. Okay? If I can't trust them to put their manhood against their opponent, to get the job done, then what the hell am I doing? Yeah. You know, what are they doing? That's out there. They're on the field making millions of dollars, and you're calling defenses to protect them yeah. from giving up the big play? You know, stand up. Stand up and play the game. Stop being afraid. Because, And I'm telling you right now, people just don't understand it. People just think that, oh, all Seth want to do is blitz, blitz, blitz. Oh, he's just – he's living that's in the Buddy what, Ryan day. That's what I say. No, no, no. <laughs> We're gone. I'm just playing, man. No, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm trying to tell you, what I'm trying to tell you, yeah. I know this to be factual. If you look at every aggressive team, right? Okay, you look at every aggressive team. What sets them apart from passive teams is their mindset and the mindset of their coordinator. Mm-hmm. Okay, I played for overly aggressive defensive coordinators, right. aggressive coordinators, and very passive coordinators. Right. Okay, so Buddy Ryan was overly aggressive, Bud Carson was aggressive, and Greg. 
Greg, um, Greg Robinson, my last year in Denver, was extremely passive. He had, the, he had the benefit of being passive because our Broncos offense scored 28 points on average right. per game. Right. So it's a lot easier to play defense that way. But my aggressive coaches, we were a more aggressive style defense because their mindsets was that way. Right. They called it that way. They expected us to play that way. And because they expected us to play that way, we had that kind of aura and that kind of energy about ourselves. When you call games passively and your defensive coordinator has a passive mindset, that filters to the team. You always say that, you always hear, the, the team takes on the image or it takes on you know how the head coach or how the coordinator, it takes on his image, okay? So if your mindset is passive, and your mindset is, oh, you're always in protective mode. You don't think that that filters to your players and your players play that way? Right. When I see James Bradbury and I watch Darius Slay, I watched two guys that were Pro Bowl cornerbacks last year. Look nothing. They look like a shell of themselves right now. You want to know why? Because I feel like the mandate for them has been to, hey, don't get beat deep. Mm -hmm. You know? We, we, we may blitz every once in a while, and we, we're mixing up some coverages and whatnot, but we don't want to get beat deep. Don't even talk about it, man. Just yeah. go out and play. All right, we're going to take a 45-second break here, and then the great Mark Farzetta will join us as we continue to pop. pop. Oh, we still have oh, – oh, oh, we do? Okay, all right. Well, we're going to stay We're gonna stay on for – Not a but, problem. But Farzee's coming. I've been told it's going to take him six minutes to get from this – from the slide. He probably got a sandwich in his hand somewhere. He's probably Here. eating some pasta or something. All right. All oh, right. man. <laughs> hey, did you see um, Kirk Cousins? Kirk Cousins tore his Achilles Yeah, he's done. Time. Done. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Man. Well, it's a good thing the team didn't trade for him. Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, let's let's go back to that uh, second half when they, when they got the – they fumbled the ball away. And we're thinking, okay, the Eagles will bury him here. They're, they're at the one. Right? That's Washington going to get out of there. They wound up getting out to the 20. And, and we're threatening to move it even further, but they 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 get the your boy Covey gets a 25-yard punt return to give him great field position again, and uh, they don't challenge. By the way, right in front of the Redskins bench, yeah. they don't challenge a play that Devontae uh, Smith did not Man, catch. He got the ball gift. hit the ground, uh, and the. the Rivera wanted the officials to get more time to look at it. We're looking at it like we saw it on replay. They didn't catch that they didn't ball. Catch the ball. How do you not challenge right. it? They don't challenge it. So the Eagles get a break on that. They can, they have the ball, and then Hertz hits AJ at the pylon for the t uh, pylon for the t TD. And I'm telling you, this dude is unlike a lot of receivers. He might be the most unique receiver in the league because his hands and his body are so strong. Those catches that he makes, that he, he takes out of the grasp of people. The coverages aren't bad on him at that point. He just rises up, Seth, and snatches it. Well, listen, it's a unique thing when you have a wide receiver, D-Gun, that's able to adjust to the ball yes. in the air the way that he can. There's not a lot of guys can do that. A lot of guys, if you don't put it right here on them, or if you don't put it in the basket, you know, on, on a over-the-shoulder throw, they can't adjust to the ball. That's a unique skill set, to be running a route and be able to judge the ball in the air and be able to judge whether, oh, I got to dive because it's too long, or, oh, I got to come back to the ball if it's too short. A lot of guys can't do that. It's like in baseball, a center field of being able to track the ball off the bat, you know. They know whether they need to get a jump on it or whether they need to get they need to get back. And what A.J. Brown does a phenomenal job at 
A.J. tracks the ball while it's in the air. So while the DBs are so afraid of getting beat that they ain't even trying to look and, and find the ball, A.J. is adjusting to the ball. That second touchdown, they had him double covered. He came back, got the, got the reception, and fell into the end zone. And I'm pretty sure the DB coach over in Washington is like, what in the hell we got to do to stop this guy? Like, dude, he's Superman. You can't stop this dude. His, yeah, his, hand, his hand radius and his hand strength, it, it's unbelievable. When you look at some of the snags that he makes, one thing to have a big body, and, and that's difficult enough for most DBs to cover, but you couple in the fact his tracking ability of a ball, his hand strength, it, it's unbelievable. It makes him the ultimate weapon. He may not be the fastest wide receiver in the game, but he is doggone for sure one of the most difficult receivers mm -hmm. in the game to cover. No doubt. Uh, yeah, uh, listen, the, the Commanders had a 7 nothing lead this game way back when, uh, and the Eagles started they started using their RPOs in, in that next possession, uh, but, but they stall out. A third and 10, they throw a flat pass to Swift. Again, we, you know, we look at these third down calls sometimes, and we're probably too hard on the offensive corner, but that play was a lousy play. <laughs> now, they wound up getting three points out of it. What but do you then, mean, you mean we're too hard? We are. Are we too hard on them? <laughs> Let's look at that play, that flat pass to DeAndre Swift there on third and ten. It wasn't there at all. You can't throw that ball if it's truly your – now, listen, if the intent is to throw it, you know, for – to get some yardage and then punt it. And sometimes as a coaching staff, yeah, that's your intent. Then that's fine. But if your intent is to really get the third down, you can't throw that ball there unless that's your last option. You just can't. Yeah, and, and fortunately, they got bailed out by Jake Elliott, who bails them out all the time. 51 yards makes it 7-3. to three. Washington's next drive, they get the ball right down the field, and Jahan Dotson had a big game, 113 yards for Jahan Dotson, the pride of Penn State University. Uh, and he beats Sidney Brown in the slot for the TD, and we're going, ooh, that's not good. Sidney Brown's going to have growing pains here, and he's giving up a touchdown in the slot. Jahan Dotson um, doesn't get a lot of notoriety because he plays second fiddle to Terry McLaurin, but Jahan Dotson is a very good receiver. And, of course, when you have a young flourishing quarterback your numbers are going to suffer because he's still trying to find his way he's not getting you the ball with that type of frequency but when you looked at that matchup you have Jahan Dotson who's an experienced vet against a very talented young Sidney Brown who's going to make plays he's also going to give up plays and that was the case where he gave up a play yeah he'll learn from that and move on uh, anyway uh, the, the commanders are up 14 to 3 at that point the Eagles look like they're going to score a touchdown they get 14 to 10 and that's when we got the game well fumble down at the three and Washington recovered at the seven all right we're going to take a breath here and on, uh, on the other side Mark Farzetta will join us with his analysis as the Ponla Hockey Eagles postgame show live from Ocean Casino continues after this it is the Ponla Hockey Eagles postgame show live from Ocean Casino and uh, the Eagles win today 38-31 against those always pesky Washington Commanders I don't know how they're pesky, but they are against the Eagles. And A.J. Brown with another uh, all-world day today. Uh, Sam Howell had a good day until the end. Uh, but the Eagles get another victory as they play one more week before the bye. Let's bring in our man Mark Farzetta now with the player you can bank on. Presented 
by First Trust Bank. Farsi, is there any doubt <laughs> that you, the player you can bank on is the man with the strong hands? It's the easiest uh, decision that we have to make on the postgame show, and that's the player to bank on and without question. That's A.J. Brown. I mean, you got six consecutive games now, 125-plus yards, as we all know, and he's doing it in so many different ways as well. One-hand catches, physical catches, getting separation, catching in traffic. Nobody in the history of the NFL has had a run like he has had right now, Mike, and it's absolutely incredible. Credit goes to Howie Roseman for what he was able to do to bring him in last year. Credit goes to Jalen Hurst for consistently finding that target, getting Devontae Smith involved. But watching the consistency from A.J. Brown has just been absolute a, a joy to watch this season. The man is a walking, running, catching cheat code right now for the Philadelphia Eagles offense. I like it. Cheat code. <laughs> Love that. Uh, all right, so, so Jalen today, 29 for 38. That's pretty good numbers 319 four touchdowns uh, he got sacked for uh two times for just four yards um what his rating 135.7 now we haven't really we haven't really gushed over Jalen in the first segment more over, over A.J. Brown but those are pretty good numbers for a guy who's hobbling a little bit right uh-huh very much and you saw him start to limp up field a little bit you really saw him find that next level today you saw a lot of struggles in the early goings, throwing behind Dallas Goddard like he did in the early going of the ball game. Then he was able to rally and just play strong and started to find some consistency with himself. Also, a wide-open Devontae Smith. I mean, sometimes you're almost too wide open, and he just hit him right in stride to back into the end zone for the touchdown. So everything right there was clicking on all cylinders in the second half for Jalen Hurts. It was good to see him be able to make adjustments in his game in that second half, unlike what we saw in the first half. Uh, that's the interesting part about Washington and why I don't respect them. <laughs> because they'll, really, that, they'll allow something like that. The Devontae Smith, they're just going to let go by <laughs> and be wide open. For Zacchaeus, it was right. Zacchaeus underneath, it, too. Exactly. They stayed it, with Zacchaeus, Mike. Like, it's not bad enough a false start on a 55-yard field goal to make it 61. Now, this guy here, I, we don't have to pay attention to that guy. But no. He's wide you, open. That, that fake bubble screen, you know, it's not like they have a whole bunch of success with it. But it's like eye candy for these cornerbacks. They see that guy step up and move back. Uh, they're just like foaming at the mouth. Oh, I'm either going to get an interception or I'm going to make a big play. Shoot, he just runs right by him. D-Gun, um, we didn't talk about much about Jalen. Um, now, we, we, we focused on the fact that he's got this knee situation now where he's hobbling. But he delivered 38 passes today. And, um, you know, the thing about him is when he's on time with it, when he's, when he, when he's in the pocket and he's delivering right away, you know it's a completion. Absolutely. It's amazing. Well, um, as we've talked about all season long, he, he came a long way from 2021 to 2022. And uh, even though his, his overall game is not as smooth this year as we thought it would be, he's that much smarter in terms of what to do with the ball, when to deliver the ball. And I know people will look at the numbers and say, well, look at his interception rate is so, so up there. Several of those interceptions – well, not his fault. Ricocheting off people going through hands. You have to take that consideration. Statistically, it still goes in the book as a sack. But I think he's even smarter this year than he was last year. But when you look at how jagged at times his overall production is, I have to give direct credit to the collection of coordinators he's playing because they're, they constantly talk about we're seeing looks that we haven't seen on film. So the coordinators are doing everything possible they can to slow this thing down. They have a, a marginal amount of success, but in big moments, Jalen still finds a way 
And that's what you want from your franchise quarterback. It doesn't have to be perfect all the time, just when we need you the most. They got a little more balance in the second half, Seth. They did run the ball. If you don't count the Hurts carries, they did run the ball 16 times in the second half after only running it four in the first half. So at least they made an effort, right? That started with the third quarter. I don't know why it's so difficult to make that adjustment where they have to go into halftime and say we need to run the ball more. That Usually problem, it's reversed. I, I, like, you know, what's going on with that? They just don't want to run it, man. They, they honestly. But they did in the third quarter. They realized that, you know, we have to balance out here. Well, why don't they figure that out what on, I always the, say. on the fly adjustments? I always say it. You know, they, their go-to when everything else fails is to revert back to the run game. But my problem is, you know, after you've shown your hand that you want to throw the ball, but in the passing game isn't working and now you got to go back to the run, well, guess what teams are going to do? Teams are more prepared for it at that point in time, opposed to you being able to establish, you know, a running game early and put that doubt in the defense's mind. And then now when you go back to your passing game, now you've got some kind of balance and, you know, you're coordinating your your pass plays off of your run plays and your run plays off of your pass plays. It just doesn't make any kind of sense to me that their mindset is to just, oh, we're going to come out and we're going to throw it all over the map because we're better than you are, you know, because at some point in time, you're always going to be in a situation where the run, the pass game is going to create a situation where you need the run game. And I mean, you can talk about Washington's defense all you want, but against the rush, they rank 23rd. Against the pass, their defense ranks 27th. So they're pretty balanced, as bad as they are defensively, you know, in both categories. So why would you just attack one area opposed to being attack, being able to attack both areas? And now you can put them in a situation where you can dictate to them, okay, we're going to make you drop the extra guy in the box. Now that you got the extra guy in the box, now we can go play action and we can throw it anywhere we want to. But they're just coming out. They don't care whether you're in single high or two high or playing quarters. They're just going to throw the ball and come hell or high water. It makes no sense to me. Um, so let's look defensively now. I want to switch to the coins here. Um, they didn't really get to him. They didn't really get to Sam Howell. Sam Howell now in two games against the Eagles, folks, has an average rating of 107. He was 100 the first time they played him. He was 114 today, 39 of 52 for 397. Uh, and he did get sacked once at the end and gave it up on an interception uh, later in the game when he got a little jumpy. Uh, I, what was the deal with them not getting any pressure on him today? Oh, listen, if, you, if you're not going to get him and challenge people, then you're not going to get pressure. You know, I get sick and tired of people talking about, oh, you know, the, the, the D-line, we didn't get pressure early on. Well, listen, if you're going to play off, you're going to play zone coverage where the quarterback can get a pre-snap read as to what you're doing. Well, Sam Howell may be young, but he's also smart. He's smart enough to see, okay, well, I got everybody bumping over here, but I got this cornerback this seven or eight yards off the ball, you know. So what, what is he thinking? He's thinking if they're playing zone, they're rotating up over here, playing cloud coverage over here. That means the guy's got to run all the way out under this wide receiver, and this cornerback's playing off. Well, I can raise up and throw out or a slant route there all day long, and there's nothing they can do about it. Same thing in the zone concepts. If you're not getting up and back as far as your linebackers and your safeties are concerned, guess what? The quarterback is like, okay, well, they got two high safeties. They're probably in cover two. 
If they're in cover two, he knows where to go with the ball in cover two before he even asks for the ball. So it's easy to play quarterback if you're not disguising things and not moving guys around to make the quarterback actually think. And it doesn't take a Patrick Mahomes to do that. Sam Howell can do that. He proved that today. 397 yards. I tweeted at halftime. I'm like, is Sam Howell that good? Is he really that That's damn the good? He is. Now, yeah. today, I, I give him credit. And the game plan was to get the ball out of his hands quickly. The game That was the game plan the first time they yeah, played it him. Was. Right? Yeah. And they, 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 they ran the ball a lot more the first time. I understand time that, but they did nothing to adjust to how they were going to be attacked this time. They came in with what seemed like the same old game plan. Well, we're just going to rely on our front four, our front five to get pressure, you know, and they didn't get there. Why? Because Sam was getting the ball out of his hands again, you know, two, two to two and a half seconds into the play. Farzi, how you feeling about uh, Sam Howell? Con- <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm t- if you're really telling honest. me, if you were to tell me before the game, the Eagles were going to get a sack on Sam Howell until late in the fourth quarter. If you're going to tell me before the game that Sam Howell is going to have a 114 passer rating against you on a day like today, I would say the Eagles are going to lose this game, unfortunately, in a shootout fashion. Fortunately, Jalen Hurts, the team rose to the occasion, scored three touchdowns in a seven-minute span in the fourth quarter, got a huge interception by Reed Blankenship, who overall did not have a great game today, but no. did come up with a big interception. I would have told you they would have lost the game, but the fourth quarter obviously played out a lot different. And we say this about mediocre teams a lot. But you could say this about the Eagles in a lot of their games this year, and I don't think in any way, shape, or form they're a mediocre team. I think they're a very good football team. 7-1 kind of proves that, but they continue to find ways to put teams away with the one exception. And I don't think that should be lost on anybody through this. Continue to find ways to win ball games. You're going to come up, make that uh, the last-minute turnover like last week, do it again this week, and that puts teams away. And if you just hang around, even not playing your best football, Against a team like the Washington Commanders, you can find a way to win that game. It's going to be a little bit more challenging next week against the Dallas Cowboys. Turned out not to be that big of a difference against the Dolphins, who are another upper, another upper, uh, upper echelon team. But they just continue to find a way to make sure they're in at the end in a position to win. Farzee, I agree with you, and it's not lost on me in the least little bit mm-hmm. that the Eagles are 7-1, and one, okay? You know, I, I think sometimes, you know, sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll look in the chat and I see what people are saying. I think people don't get it that, you know, it's not our job to be fanboys up here. It's our job to analyze what we saw mm. and talk about the game and the shortcomings or, or the, you know, the outstanding play that you see. Mm. You know, it's not lost on any of us. And I think we all, to a man across the board here, we want to see the Eagles do well. You know, there's no, no ifs, ands, or buts about that. But at, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, we'd be remiss in our duty, D-Gun, if we sat up here and, and, and talked about everything being, you know, candy and roses. It's just not. And I keep saying that in a perfect, in an imperfect game, we're expecting this team to play with, at some level of perfection. And it's just not going to happen because the game is too imperfect in that way. But, you know, it's just I I look at them offensively and I look at them defensively. And sometimes it's like it's almost like they take they take turns. You know, the special teams, believe it or not, the special teams, with the exception of the 37 yard missed field goal by Jake Elliott, that could have meant the difference between them staying undefeated or not. I think the, the, the special teams is the one team that's played with some kind of consistency. 
when the offense hadn't played well, the defense over the last two weeks has been lights out. The defense no-showed today, and all of a sudden Jalen Hurts in the offense just showed out again today. So it's almost like they're ham and egging, you know, <laughs> week after week after week. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not lost on any of us sitting up here. Right. The fact that this team has the best record in the National Football League. Right. Okay. But it's also our job to analyze, you know, what we're seeing as we watch this team and the fact that, you know, I'm not ball headed because, you know, I just want to keep it ball. Well, I, this, team, I am. this team sometimes. <laughs> I'm, I'm more gray-headed than I am ball-headed, and that's, that's, that's because of the Eagles. That's why I keep it gray. Well, you know, I, I will say, I, I stopped, when, when it comes to shows that we do, I stopped looking at social media a long time ago and chats because people are just out spit, spitting venom just for the heck of it. Right. So I don't pay attention to them. They don't listen to what is being said. They twist what you say to, to, to meet their own narratives, number one. You. Number two, for as good, why are you grinning? I, because I just find what you said funny. Well, I, because that's what they say about us sometimes, too, that we're twisting yeah, things and I, making our yeah, own narrative. Yeah, okay. But I, I understand what, what you're saying. You know what? To each his own, right? <laughs> to each his own. But I will say this. For this team to be sitting here at 7-1, and you look at the collection of coordinators they have played up to this point, mm. you've looked at teams that have had the entire offseason to analyze, dissect, and break down this Eagles' potent offense from last year to this year. And for this team to still be putting up the kind of numbers they put up as inconsistent as they've been. For individuals like A.J. Brown to be putting up the type of numbers he's putting up consistently week in and week out says a lot about the cohesiveness, the continuity, and the individual athleticism of what Howie Roseman has put together with his organization. Because we, we sit here talking about, you know, you look at some of the more creative offenses in the National Football League, what's the first thing they do? Motion. Constant motion. Kansas City, San Francisco. This team doesn't use a lot of motion. They just line up and say, mm -hmm. stop us if you can. Nine times out of ten, you can't stop this thing. By the way, uh, you, you, you two have had it easy on social media over well, here well, <laughs> <easy>. compared <laughs> to me. I, I well, can write a 900-word or a page textbook on hatred. <laughs> and and Farty knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> I haven't been in Sports Talk Radio for a while. You thrive You have survived. Stuff. You and <laughs> Seth are just getting a little taste of it. Oh, I don't care. It don't bother me at all. I could care less what they say, what they think. I could care less. Well, I think one of the big miscommunications here, to go to the point of arguing after, you know, about a 7-1 and one team, is we're not talking about a team that's 7-1 and one necessarily. We're talking about a team and how they're going to stack up against their standard, to put it to Jalen Hurts. And right now their standard is a Super Bowl, to at least contend and get to a Super Bowl. Sure. That's what we're measuring it against. It's not whether or not they're going to beat the Commanders in week eight of the season. It's how they play now, and will that stack up against the upper echelon teams, and how are they going to compete for a Super Bowl? Because that's the bar that they've set for themselves, and I think that's the most fair way to look at it. Right now, record-wise, they're still very much in line to get back to that Super Bowl exactly, yeah. compared to the rest of the uh, competition in the NFC. I'm looking at social media right now, and uh, uh, Dave Zangaro covers the, the Eagles. Uh, yeah. Says uh, he, he quotes Jalen Hurts, who was asked about his knee again. <laughs> again, Jalen said, and I quote, "I'm here." <laughs> that was it. <laughs> that was it. That's all he. He's not going to tell you anything, man. <laughs> just like when he was asked last week, what did he say? We'll see. We'll yeah. see. He's not going to tell you anything. No. He just didn't put the. He just didn't put the rest of the quote to it. What's the rest of the Started quote? from the bottom. Now he's here. Oh, there you go. He's here. Hey, he but ain't we, going we, nowhere. We saw, we saw a couple of times him limping off the field today. It's understandable. Well, you can tell he's hobbling. I mean, he, 
he didn't ha- even have a mindset to run today. I mean, you no, can tell it no, no. like he, when he wants to you know, squirm out of there. and get. Uh, he, I, I, he I promise you this. He will have a mindset to run next week. I promise you that. Yeah. He will be running next week because I'm telling you, Dan Quinn is coming after. I'm telling you. Dallas, I mean, I, Their game plan next week, D-Gun, has to be. Get to Jalen. It has to be. the. I'm talking about the Eagles. The Eagles oh, the game Eagles. plan yeah. next week yeah. has to be to run the football early. Yes. Okay. Yes. And then when you're going to throw it, it needs to be the short game. They're going to have to be patient enough, you know, to take what they're given. Because if they sit in that pocket next week against that pass rush yes. and against the blitz package that Dan Quinn will bring to the table, realizing that you that you you've effectively eliminated um, Jalen Hurts' running ability just because of the injury, it'll be a long day for the Eagles Absolutely. in the link next week. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Jacob uh, Sports, who tweets live with us as we're doing our post-game show here, uh, has just tweeted out the Seth comment. Uh-oh, here we go. Uh, I'm over the go. Kenneth Gainwell experiment. I don't understand what the Eagles' fascination is. <laughs> oh, I already tweeted, I tweeted that out at halftime. Oh, you kidding me? Your boss has just laid you out again. With that one. <laughs> Listen, if, if I tweet it, if I tweet you mean it, it's, it's, it's fair game. Just as long as you tweet it in the context that I meant it. I don't have a problem with it. I get it. All right. I'm, I'm, I am. I like I'm, it, I'm over the experiment. I'm over the experiment. Plus six passes today. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. You you can't fumble that ball down there, okay? And if you're going to be the number two guy that came into this year that was expected to be the number one guy until they went and got Devontae um, 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 Swift, DeAndre Swift, can you imagine – what conundrum this team would have been in if they hadn't have made that that change? How many times do you think Swift carried the ball today? Um, probably sixteen times. <laughs> exactly. That's his number. Cheat. You cheated, did you? No. <laughs> no. You, you got it right in front of you. How many times? <laughs> what? what? I mean, listen, I don't have it right there in front of me. Look at what I got. I can tell you. Listen, I know because I know what the Eagles' mindset is. I, that's okay? more than I thought he carried. Mm-hmm. Frankly, I, the know. only reason he got twenty-five carries in that game, that in that Tampa game, was because. Kenneth Gainwell was hurt, and they had no, no other I, option. I'm okay. They want their court, they want their star running back to touch the ball no more than 16 to 18 I'm, times I'm with a game. Right, but, right. but that also brings in the fact they, they need somebody else to carry the football. Now, if Gainwell can't do it, they, they don't seem to be that confident about Boston Scott. They, they've got a dearth there. It can't of, be a confidence thing, man. That dude's well, doing nothing. No, but he protects the ball. Boston Scott doesn't turn the ball over. They just, well, why don't they use it? I don't know. We have no idea. First of all, when, when it was announced that Boston Scott re-signed with the Eagles, I was shocked back in the spring on a one-year deal for the low amount of money he signed for because he's still very much in his prime, not an overused body. And, and if I'm his agent, I'm telling my client, you look at the limited numbers that you put up in your tenure in Philadelphia. They've been good productive numbers, not just as a running back, but as a pass catcher and a returner. We could parlay that into something a little bit more lucrative, maybe not more than 5 or $7 million. But the bottom line is you would have more opportunities to showcase your skills, which could help you in the long run. When he signed for a little over 2 $3 million to come back here, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? You're always going to be buried on the depth chart here. Why would you come back here? And he, he, he talked about how comfortable he is with the organization. Well, you only get one shot at this at a career. You're in, a, you're in a profession where the average lifespan is three and a half years. You get one good shot to make some good money at this level, okay? And you decided to come back here to be the third or fourth back 
for the Philadelphia Eagles. Loyalty is one thing. Financial security is another thing. Yeah, but you know what the problem is, D-Gun? You know, when you, when, when you pigeonhole somebody into thinking that the best that they can do is right here, that their best option is right here, Man. then you know what begins to happen? Yeah, as, as a player, you know, I, I say it all the time. The greatest asset that any player in the National Football League can have is confidence. Yep. Okay, it's the number one thing. Because when you get to this level where there's only 1,696 of you in the entire world, okay, everybody's got talent and everybody's got skill and everybody's got ability. But I think what separates the great players from the average players and the average players from the just all right players is, the, is your self-belief. How much do you believe in yourself? How much do you think that you can be the guy? You understand what I'm saying? Self-worth. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so when you get a guy like Boston Scott who's been here his entire career, you know, and the, 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 the team, the organization is pretty much sending a message to him that, you know, you're, the, you're, third, you're third best. You know, yeah, I, and, 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 listen, you, and you're I, and you're you're a kick returner. Well, when it's time for him to shop himself yeah. on the market, yeah. what does he believe yeah. b- about himself? How does he see find himself? Somebody yeah. that is reliable yeah. behind DeAndre Swift, and I I, be- I agree. I believe they should blow an air horn when he gets to 15, and, and that's the <laughs> end. But they got to figure out <laughs> what else here. All right, I, I don't. I, I don't. I don't believe that. I do. I, I think. I think fresh. that. I think that they need. He needs more opportunities because I think he's in the best shape. No man. He's been. He's in the best shape of his career. Your running back could be in the best shape. You're gonna get bruised up. It doesn't matter. You got to understand. He's playing for a contract next year, okay? Yeah, but you can't grind him up. You, you, you don't have him. to grind him up. You didn't grind up Miles, um, Miles Sanders last year. Well, that's you what gave, you gave him opportunity. I'm, I'm okay 15-16. You're not? No. Okay. No. And I and I also believe I'm not – he needs 20 to 25 touches a game, and Boston Scott needs to get that 10, that other 10, that Kenneth Gainwell isn't giving you the production okay. for. All right, let's take a quick break. On the other side – Kayla Santiago joins us with the diamond debate as the Pondland Hockey Eagles postgame show continues live from Ocean back after this. You are watching the Pondland Hockey Eagles postgame show. We are live from Ocean Casino as the Eagles win today 38-31 over the pesky Washington Commanders. You know what next week is? Yep, Dallas Cowboys at the link. It is now time for our diamond debate with Kayla Santiago who joins the panel right now. Kayla, first of all, um, what are you wearing today for us uh, with the the great people from Mark's Jewelers? I'm wearing some beautiful jewelry. Of course, the holiday season is coming up. So if you want to get some really, really nice jewelry, make sure you go to Mark's Jewelers. We got the bracelets, the necklace, the earrings, and a little bit of everything here today. But we're going to head over to our diamond debate. And, Mike, I want to start with you on this. I know you guys touched on the running backs just a little bit here the trade deadline, it is coming up. Do you think that the Eagles should look for a running back? Do you think that Boston Scott should be the number two running back? What would you do in this situation if you're Howie you know, Roseman? Uh, that is a really interesting question. And, and you know, just we, we just talked about the, the lack of depth that they have, uh, at least in their minds, behind DeAndre Swift. i, I got to be honest with you. I wouldn't be surprised to see them add another running back, D-Gun. I mean, yeah, at this point, you're, you're not getting a – uh, a great running back, and nobody's going to make that available. But I, I assume you would have to get a little more depth if you're not going to use Boston Scott. And Kenny, Kenneth Gainwell has not really produced for you. Rashad Penny's in mothballs. They, they clearly are not going to use him. So what do you think about that? I, I'm thinking that maybe. I would like to see them up, uh, elevate Boston Scott to number two. 
Um, I think he has proven his medal in the National Football League. Um, he's very difficult to defend because he's so small. He gets behind those big linemen. He's very quick, very strong. You can't arm tackle. He's got a good pass catcher. Um, I think it's time for them to admit their mistake and de demote Kenneth Gainwell to number three, elevate Boston Scott to number two. Now, knowing Howie Roseman like I know, know him, if there's two areas he might be looking to identify to strengthen up, it's the running back and to get some depth on that offensive line. Uh, so a lot, any and everything could happen between now and that, two, that, that 4 p.m. deadline on Tuesday. But I want to see, I want to see Scott elevated before you go out and bring somebody else in off the street and push him further down the pecking order. Well, let me ask you this, though. The Eagles base a lot of what they do on what they see probably in practice. And I know they don't practice hard anymore. There's something that they don't see in Boston Scott, or, or do you think it's because Gainwell has the pedigree of being a draft pick? I don't even know if it's the pedigree at this point. I think it's the fact that the Eagles have to show that Gainwell was a worthy pick. When you look at some of the mistakes they've made in higher draft picks through the years, granted, over the last couple of years, for the most part, they've gotten all of their picks right. But go back to Jalen Rager. Go back to names like the Jaquan Jarris, who's second-round picks, first-round picks. They're going to push him. They're going to push this narrative as far as they can. But I think the difference we see in Howie Roseman today compared to what we knew years ago is he gets to a certain point, and then, whether directly or indirectly, he admits, okay, we made a mistake. And then he moves on from it. I don't think he's at that point yet with Kenneth Gainwell, but I think it's slowly creeping in that direction. Seth, if you think they get the run game a little bit more consistent, do they try to move that a little bit? Because although we haven't liked what we've seen from Kenny Gainwell today, they're also not really giving all of them a lot of opportunities to get in rhythm. Yeah, I don't, you know, to, to your point, I don't believe that the running game is really a focal point for them. Mm. Um, I think the running back is more, uh, that position is more of a focal point for how they can utilize that guy in the run game. Um, and you can just go back and look at the targets between last week and this week. You know, the targets as far as the running backs are concerned have gone up over the last two weeks. Um, and, and to D-Gun's point, you know, I, I think along the same lines. Yeah. I think Kenneth Gainwell has more to do with the fact that they drafted him in the third round, the fact that they made the decision to let Miles Sanders walk away because they felt like um, Kenneth Gainwell could be the guy. Because if you, if you go back and you look, I don't think that they made the trade for DeAndre Swift until after the draft. You know, so they went through the draft process and realized that there wasn't anything worthy where in that, in that pecking order of what they had as far as draft picks were concerned to just add another guy. So they went out and they said, hey, you know, we can get DeAndre Swift, you know, for a fourth-round draft pick, then, you know, hey, we'll go and do that. So the Kayla's question, you're saying, no, they would not be in the market at the trading deadline to add somebody. Listen, we keep hearing things about, you know, Derrick Henry. I don't think that Derrick Henry is your answer. His running style and the style of offense that we run do not go hand in hand. No. Yeah, that's you probably know, not going to happen. You know, so yeah, I don't about, think it would. A, a lesser depth that, chart running back. Yeah, I mean, that, that's not going to happen. I, I mean, listen, Rashad Penny, for all intents and purposes, is a smaller version of Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry is a one-cut running back. Rashad Penny, when we saw him in the limited amount that he played, right now at this point in time, he doesn't have to burst. He doesn't have the ability to run zone and stretch it and cut it back. He's a one, 
a, a, a one-cut running back, just like Derrick Henry. You know, so if they don't see enough in, De- in Rashard Penny to say, okay, let's, let's figure out whether he could be the guy, you know, then why are you going to go out on the market and bring in a bigger version of that? Yeah. And, then, and then you turn around. What, what is out there that's actually worthy of trade bait at this point in time? What's out there that's well, bigger or different you, you, that you can right. actually probably, trade and go and bring right in? Doesn't make that, sense. But, but here's the thing. Are, D-Gun, are they more comfortable throwing the ball the game well than they would be to throw the ball since Scott? And that's the reason why he's in there? He, because they threw to him six yes. times today. Um, I would have to say yes. You know, well, that, that matters to them, I guess. I guess it does matter to them. You, we can say what we want to say about Kenneth Gainwell as a running back and to Seth's point from earlier in the show about how he's not hitting the hole, he's not running with the same type of authority. Kenneth Gainwell does have this ability to get in open space. Kenneth Gainwell does have pretty good hands. Kenneth Gainwell is not a game game changer, but he's a game. he can help you game manage. That's his best attribute. My only back. thing to that, my only question to that, has has Boston Scott proven himself? Yes, he has. In a, in able, has he proven himself? Yes, he has. To not be able to catch the football? Has Boston Scott a third round draft pick? I understand that. But they're going to push that narrative. Come on, Seth. They're I understand. Push that narrative forever until they can. But my thing is, you know. It, my, my thing will always be productability. Yes. Okay. Yes. You can't sell me on the meritocracy of the National Football League and then turn around and have a guy that's for the last three years proven that he can't do it versus a guy that proven that he could do it. Right. And right. you're going you're gonna to put the guy that proved, that's proven that he couldn't do it in front of that other guy just because you drafted him in the third round? Then, then you just poo-poo all over the whole point of meritocracy in the National Football you're gonna League. Tell me that, you're going to tell me that favoritism doesn't exist in the NFL? No, I'm not saying it's it not. It did when you're, in your era. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's not. You know, I'm a, I'm a prime example of it. Right. I had a guy that was drafted in the second round in front of me. Yep. Okay? And over, over time, that guy proved that he couldn't do it. Right. Yet I proved that I could. So me as an eighth-round draft pick, I always look back at that situation and say to myself, damn, I could have been a second-round draft pick. Sure. Because that guy proved that he couldn't, and I proved that I could as an eighth-round draft pick. And at some point in time, Buddy Ryan and the rest of the organization said, you know what, this guy's proven that he could. We're going to walk. We're going we're gonna to admit that we made a mistake, and we're going to let that second-round draft pick walk away, and we're going to ride with the eighth-round draft pick. Because Buddy and, was able and, to give the finger to the owner. <laughs> yeah, well, that too. <laughs> no, but, that, but that's that, not the same situation But right that here. goes to what I'm saying. Eventually, they're going to admit Boston, that, that Kenneth Gaywell was not the answer. But they did not at that point yet. Gun, they do it too often. They're they not going to that point. They kept Jalen Rager around here too long. They, sure they, they did. They, they kept sure Arthur, they did. Arthur Whiteside around here That's too long. They did. How many other guys? I mean, I could go well, on and on with the list. Game well. gonna, and guess what? We're Rager. in the midst of it right now. It may be Gainwell at this point We're in time. We're in the midst Rager's of it right now. We're in the midst of it. Rager was a first-round pick. How did Boston Scott get here? Whiteside was a second-round pick. What is Boston Third round pick shouldn't be that important, should it? it third depends. round? It depends. Why? A lot of teams value a third-round pick as much as they do a second-round pick. 
those early middle round picks are valuable picks. You can't just build a team around a first no, round I pick. No, I get like, that, but I'm just okay. saying the priority. Rager, I can see. I mean, they would have been humiliated with a first round pick going down <laughs> like that. Right? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think right now the thing about the Eagles, too, you look back in 2017, they get Jay Ajayi right before the trade deadline. I don't think that's going to happen. I think there's other areas where they need to get better position people going for the rest of the season before October 31st. What do you guys think that they should do before the trade deadline is said and done? Well, listen, I, I, I still think that they need, you know, offensive line depth. But I'm one of those people that believe also that, you know, you don't have, you know, a lot of time to develop somebody's, somebody else's backup. You know, I, I honestly believe that, um, um, gosh, what's the offensive line coach name, D-Gun? Jeff, Jeff Stout. Jeff Stout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that he's developed his guys well enough that he probably feels good about the depth at that position. Um, I, I still think that we can use some depth um, at the linebacker position. We only have three linebackers that are active every single week. So you're like two injuries at the linebacker yep. position away from, you know, being in serious trouble as far as – and I know that we got Christian Ellis that's on the practice squad, you know, but I think still believe that we could use some depth there. Mm-hmm. Um you know, you might be able to use some depth, you know, at the cornerback position. But who's giving up a cornerback that's worth anything, right. you know, right. that's not just, nobody, that, yeah. not just a one-year rental. Right. So I'm more in the fav- in favor of just staying pat or where we at and not giving up any asset. Yeah, I agree with that. But I, I will say that the, the linebackers weren't that good today. Uh, and the Kobe Dean was not that good in coverage, and I don't think Cunningham the played that well good. either. Well, hey, listen, that's always going to be their issues. But they had – we, we kind of forgot about because they started playing well a little bit. Today, they did not play well. Yeah, but I, I, this is why I asked the question. You know, when the Kobe Dean comes back, okay, do you put him right back in there? Or do you let these guys who have been playing pretty darn well just keep playing? Tomorrow because, and Cunningham. Yeah, because sometimes mm-hmm. what happens is you kind of upset the apple cart and you upset the, the confidence of players when you pull them out and put another guy in. The Kobe Dean is showing me absolutely nothing since he's D-Gun, been back. He was a liability in coverage today. percent. The tight end just beat him like there's, a drum there's today. There's no question about it. But you know what? Covering the tight ends for these linebackers has been an issue all season. It will continue to be an issue down the road. Now, it's hit or miss in a lot of cases. Sometimes they play well. The majority of the time they don't again when it comes to covering the tight ends. There are a lot of linebackers in the NFL that have problems covering tight ends. That's one of the weaknesses on this Eagles team. It's just that their front pass rush pressure disguises a lot of deficiencies they might have on the back end. They got exposed in the back end today in the pass coverage. But you go back to last week, for whatever reason, the type of pressure and the way they played against Miami worked for them. They come back and play a lesser opponent offensively, and they get exposed. Here's one of the strategic changes that I would like to see the Eagles either make or, or play with because what teams do is they go three by one and then they turn around and they take that number three wide receiver because you always come from the outside in one two three that's normally the tight end he's normally attached so what they do is they take him and they either put him in the slot or they put him out wide and they take the wide receiver and they move him to the, the three spot and when you go three by one, what winds up happening is that linebacker, one of those linebackers has got to wind up covering a wide receiver, which he cannot cover. 
which they get hurt quite a bit in third down situations with, okay? So what I'd like to see is them go nickel, okay, or go dime and be able to move the linebacker over and go man-to-man -man against the back on the weak side and take the dime backer and drop him in to cover. Now, that's where the chess match starts because what teams are going to start to do is they're going to start shifting the tight end back in and then running the ball at that nickel backer, you know. So there's, there's this ongoing chess match that happens that the Eagles got to be able to say, okay, if they make that adjustment, then we'll just swap back. We'll put the DB back on the back and we'll move the backer back inside. Now, you know, that's that chess match that happens. But it, it's you're going to continue to have this issue because teams have been doing this forever. You know, they're going to go three by one and they're going to put that linebacker in a precarious position. If he's not very good at coverage or he's that guy that's not willing to take a shot at that little wide receiver in that five-yard area, he's going to continually have, you know, pass coverage issues. All right, let's, let's look ahead, Kayla. I want to get your opinion on next week because here it comes. Here's the big game. The other team is riding high. They smashed the Rams today, 43-20, to and they limited a quarterback who stays in the pocket 13-22 today for 162 yards. Are the Eagles ready for this challenge right now? If they played like they did today, absolutely not. I don't think so. Now, if they played like they did last week, maybe they do. But I just I think there's a lot to work on. We talked about Sean Desai making such good halftime adjustments throughout the season so far. And we really didn't see that too, too much in this game as well. I think the Cowboys are a lot better than commanders, especially on the defensive side of things, too. So, I'm going to sit here and say I'm a little bit worried. Now, I hope it's the opposite outcome. I hope the Eagles go out there and they're able to really show what they can do. But we just don't know what Eagles team we're going to get next week. And if I think they play like they did today, it's, it's not Seth, going to be good. Seth, Dak Prescott, 25-31, 304, four touchdowns, 133.7 rating. And CeeDee Lamb went off, 12 catches, 158. How are you feeling about next week? So let me ask you, what, what did they do in the running game? Because that's always a big deal for Ran the ball 26 times for 102. Okay. Tony so, Pollard with 53 so, yards. So I, anytime, that, anytime that Dak gets support in the run game, then he's going to be dangerous. You know, so if you can take the run game away and make Dak have to throw the ball 40-plus times, then you're in a situation where, you know, you're, gonna, you, you, you're, you're in an advantageous you know, position. Um, if there's a team that the Eagles are always going to get it for, that's going to be the Cowboys. So the, the team you saw today is not going to be the, see, the team that you see that takes the field next yeah. week. That's why that's, you can't. That's why there's no, never a carryover. Right, even mentioned, right. could, could it <laughs> right. have been like a little look ahead? I don't know. You, you know, but Dak, for whatever reason, you talk about Washington giving the Eagles fits, Dak always plays well against the Eagles for whatever the reason. And I expect, that, you know, I think it's going to be a knockdown drag out fight next week. I can't wait to see it. I, think, I, I said it before. I'll say it again. The, the, you want to have success running against this e defense, you run on the perimeter. That's what Washington did when they had success. You're not going to run between the tackles on this defense. You hit them on the perimeters, and they have a running back in Tony Pollard that can do some damage against this defense on the perimeter. The, the problem is the young buck got hurt today, Jalen Carter. Yes, know, yes. Had a back issue. So hopefully it's just muscular and he'll be back in the game, right. you know, next week. But the Eagles, again, they cannot stop the run versus the four-man front. That's yeah. the thing that like, that, like, blew my mind is that Washington came out when they had the lead. That was the time for them to go straight in the, in the, in the run mode. 
and until you could force the Eagles to get out of that five-man front and, and, and to, well, out of that four-man front into a five-man front. You know, they just didn't, did not run the football. All right, it'll be interesting to see what that line is next week. Cowboys and Eagles at Lincoln Financial Field. Listen, don't go away because coming up is John McMullen, our guy, our ace. He covered the Eagles game for uh, Jacob Sports, and he will be live from Washington with his analysis of the Eagles' 38-31 win. So just sit tight and hang in, and you'll see John McMullen. For Derek Gunn and Seth Joyner and Kayla Santiago, I'm Mike Missanelli. Thanks for watching the Pond La Hockey Eagles postgame show, and we will see you next week right here on Jacob Media Sports. E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles. Eagles fans, welcome to a special edition of the Pond Hockey Post Game Show. I'm your guy, Tony DeShields II, and I'm joined with our Eagles insider, John McMullen, coming at you guys live from, what is it, FedEx Field, right? You know, we, we know the Washington Commanders kind of playing like a dumpster fire. We totally understand that, but they did it. They, I hope the accommodations weren't too bad for our guy, John McMullen. The Philadelphia Eagles beat the Commanders in a shootout, man, 38-31 to improve to 7-1. Wow, man. It was, um, it was a hell of a game. Super entertaining. Had me on the edge of my seat. In the first half, they almost had us. But in that second half, man, the Philadelphia Eagles came back to play, putting up 28 points, man, and uh, holding the commanders to 14 points, seven points if you want to be technical because the last one was kind of a garbage TD. But, John, let's get into it, man. Um, talk about your observations. What you know? What are the vibes right now? What are some of the things that you notice in this game? Uh, Gene, uh, I say this all the time, John. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm getting all choked up already. Games have personalities. <laughs> Yes. Uh, and this one ha had a personality. I think Sam Howe started 20 of 21. So I think uh, Eric Bieniemy came in with a great game plan. He knew and he understood. And we talked about this all week. Sam Howe was going to have to get the ball out quickly against this Philadelphia Eagles defense and pass rush. And they were just getting out bubble screen after. But it's the first bubble screen only game plan early in the game. And it, they were having success with it. And Sam finished up 39 of 52 for 397, four touchdowns. Um, he played a great game, had a great game plan. But, you know, the Eagles do what they do. They wear teams down and they out-talent teams and they win in the end. And that's sort of what happened today. It was ugly. But when Reed Blankenship, who, who you know, came back from the rib injury, did not play well. He and Sidney Brown were talking about sort of the next play mentality. You have to have a short memory as a defensive back. You can't say, woe is me. You got to go out there and try to make a play. Reed made a play, and all of a sudden the game tilts towards the Eagles, and that was pretty much it, as you said. There was some garbage time shenanigans. They had to wait for the last final onside kick, but – that was pretty much the tilting point of the game, and it was it was a shootout, you know. For all the people who think they can explain this league, explain how you can shut down the Miami Dolphins one week and let the Washington Commanders go up and down the field. It's a crazy league, but that's where I go. I go Jim Schwartz, games have personalities. This game had a personality, and the Eagles were able to play it and win the shootout. Yeah, man, the, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, um, let's be honest, like you said, this thing was ugly. Uh, they had two crucial turnovers on the goal line, one by way of Kenny Gainwell, uh, the other by way of Jalen Hurts. 
another game where they've lost a turnover battle. And I got to admit, I've been concerned and I still am concerned because you turn the ball over two times in the, you know, at the goal line and you give the other team multiple opportunities. <laughs> it's going to come back to bite you, especially when you're going up against a team like the Dallas Cowboys next week, um, Buffalo Bills, Chiefs, so on and so forth. But, you know, there were still some positive things to pull from this game. I mean, Jalen Hurts, let, you know, let's really talk about it. Jalen Hurts, 29 for 38, completed, I believe, 76% of his passes, uh, four passing touchdowns, averaged just over eight yards in the attempt. 135.7 passer rating. We know it, it. We know it was the AJ Brown show once again. And Devontae Smith uh, finally had his uh, the closest thing we can call a breakout performance of the season. You know, just talk about um, you know your observations from Jalen Hurts and uh, AJ Brown. You know, just that offense as far as from a passing perspective. Yeah, well, if you look at AJ and Devontae specifically, I mean, he threw the football to those two guys 15 times, and every time he threw it to him, he came up with a reception. So um, AJ I had like eight targets. Yeah, Devontae had seven targets, 15 total. Um, again, AJ sets the record, goes over 125 for the sixth consecutive game. They've been playing NFL football for a long time. Nobody's ever done that before, so that's – even in this sort of pass-happy era, that's pretty impressive. Two more touchdowns. Devontae had a touchdown, as you mentioned. Julio Jones had a touchdown. Right, um, yeah, who would have thought? <laughs> so um, evidently the Eagles and Jalen Hurts and Julio were working on that play all week in practice, and it, it, it came up. Julio made a great catch. It was a little bit behind him. Uh, took him a bit of a bit of a hit, but – yeah, I mean, the passing game was spectacular, and it needed to be because, you know, conversely, as we mentioned, um, it wasn't as much down the field. It was all underneath, but the back seven on defense did not play well. Um, a lot of moving parts, Cindy Brown, most of the work in the slot, but they also use Eli Ricks on some obvious passing downs. Um, Kevin Byard starts his first game. Reed Blankenship's back after missing a game, so – a lot of moving parts. They didn't play well, but came up with a big play. Reed came up with a big play when he needed to. So sometimes that's how you got to do it. Um, 24 out of 26 rad tone um, starts um, with Jalen Hurts. The Eagles have won 24 of 26. Um, they just find ways to win. And when they don't, the two times they didn't win, Washington at Lincoln Financial Field last season, they had four turnovers. They were minus three on the turnover ratio. And against the New York Jets this year, they were minus four, four turnovers. So the only time they don't win is when they beat themselves. Um, and it's, it's, it's a good team, but this was not their best performance. But in a lot of ways, that's what marks a good team. You win when you don't have your best stuff, so to speak. And that's what the Eagles did. Yeah, speaking of not having their best stuff, um, Jalen Hurts' knee continues to be a topic of conversation. Um, at least, you know, for myself, I noticed that he definitely uh, was limping a little bit throughout that game, didn't really seem to have the burst. Um, he, he, I believe he only ran the ball uh, four times. So you can tell he was really intentional about winning this game from the pocket. You know, what does that say about Jalen Hurts and where he is in his career? You know, he gets a lot of flack, in my opinion, for being the, th uh, for being the dual threat guy. And 
um, for, you know, being able to win the game in, multi- in a multitude of ways, you know, with his legs, so on and so forth. I personally don't think his passing game gets enough respect. But, you know, just, you know, speak on that injury and just how he was able to battle through that. Well, he's, he's done talking about it. He said that after the game. So everybody can keep talking about it, but he's not going to keep talking about it. He's got a bone bruise. He's playing with a sleeve, sort of a sleeve brace uh, on it. Um, yeah, and he's a little bit limited running the football right now. But, yeah, that's the mark of a, a really difficult quarterback to deal with when you can beat teams in multiple ways, and that's what Jalen Hurts has proven he's been able to do. He wins the shootout today, whether you go back to week two against Minnesota, whether running the football down uh, the opposition's throats. You know, those are the two extremes. They prove they could win one way. They prove they can win another way tonight. Uh, and they've been doing that for two-plus seasons, essentially. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, this running game, another week where it seems like they, they're struggling to get it going. It seems like the running game really hasn't been the same since Cam, since Cam Jurgens left and then Suwa Petta goes down with the injury. You know, you know, speak on, you know, the, you know this running game, man. You know, they're going to need it in the long run, but right now they seem to be getting by um, pretty well without it. Speak on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I I have a long discussion on the pregame show with Seth about that. Yeah, I, I mean, I got to disagree with people and their mentality. I mean, whether you want to call it old school, did you really want them to run the football in this game when they got down 14-3? to Because if you did, they're probably going to lose the game. Um you know, and, and especially if Washington keeps, again, we told you the numbers, 39 of 52, 397. Washington was throwing it all over the lot. I, I've never seen Jahan Dotson play better. Uh, Jamison Crowder came back from nowhere. Uh, Logan Thomas, they couldn't deal with. Terry McLaurin was actually hurt them. He, he had back-to-back drops on uh, a key drive, and he typically kills the Eagles. He had the touchdown interception early. Um, Curtis Samuel was doing his thing until he got hurt and was forced to leave. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't understand what people are looking at. If they're saying run the ball down fourteen to three, you're going to lose this football game. And again, Jalen Hurts. You just mentioned the numbers: four touchdowns, no interceptions, three hundred nineteen yards. They came has into he, this game. Has he played a better game than this? I mean, I, I don't recall recall Jalen Hurts playing a game this. I mean, I, I saw the Super Bowl, but four touchdowns, just just completely killing you in the air. That that was a that was a sight to behold. He 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 started week two last season against Minnesota when it was a completely different Minnesota team with Ed Donatel, who plays the big banjo system. They came in saying, all right, we're going to stop the run and we're going to force this guy to, to throw the ball to beat us. And he killed him, killed him throwing football. Um, you know, conversely, this year they went the exact opposite way and he proved he had the football IQ to say, all right, you're going to play six people in the box. I'm going to run the football. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they were not effective running the ball early and, and very limited don't get me wrong, it was a very limited sample size. But part of the reason that was is because it was ugly early and they got behind. So there were four runs in the in the first half. And 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 by the way, 
Washington only ran it seven times in the first half because they were chucking it all over the yard. And that's why I go back to my original point. Games have personalities. This was a shootout. And if you're bringing a, a, a knife to a gunfight, you're going to lose. And if you're bringing a rushing mentality to a team that's going to put up 31 points and if you're going to run the ball, probably more than that, you're going to have some issues. Yeah, again, like you said, this game had a personality. This game had its own complexion. And because they got down so early, it definitely lended to them having to pass the ball a lot more. And, you, you know, you brought up that Minnesota Vikings game, you know, Jalen Hurts' performance in that matchup. You know, you know, I'm willing to argue that this game had little to no room for error in that second half. I mean, they were down double digits. Um, at, well, not double digits. They were down 17-10 coming out of the half. And then I believe there was a point where they went down 24-17, if I'm not mistaken. So there was little to no, there was little to no room for error in this game. And it seemed to me Jalen Hurts – like, like we always talk about, he tends to put the team on his back in these kind of situations. It seems like Jalen Hurts was just playing on another level right now, despite that injury. Yeah, I, 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 well, he's been playing at a high level for a while. I mean, the one thing you're concerned about is coming in, he had 10 turnovers, um, which was second in the NFL to Desmond Ritter. Um, he gets credit for the tush-push fumble. Maybe people can stop talking about that because it was unsuccessful for once. <laughs> um, I don't know if that was his fault. It's difficult to see here at FedEx Field, so I have to watch the um, the game on replay. A, a couple of people said um, the snap didn't get up to Jalen Hurts, but either way, as the quarterback, you get responsibility for that. Um, so now he's got 11 turnovers. He didn't throw a pick, so that was positive. Um, he's got eight interceptions. Um, his career high for interceptions is nine in 2021 and last season you know he he didn't basically turn it over at all so um they they've been turning over the football too much um and and that's probably the biggest issue they have uh because i just you know said when you talk about that 20 24 out of 26 run the two losses are directly attributed to turnover so that would be my biggest concern. And if they if they cash in, because Kenny Gainwell fumbled at the three-yard line, Jalen fumbled at the one-yard line, if they cash in there, they're probably not even fighting to get back and, and win this game with the Reed Blankenship interception. Yeah, you know, I want to talk about A.J. Brown a little bit more, John. I mean, six games back-to-back, back-to-back-to-back with over 125 receiving yards. Uh, they had two touchdowns today. I don't know, John. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe it's premature. I'm ready to call this guy one of the greatest Philadelphia Eagles receivers in history, man. You tell me, though. Maybe am oh, I a little too excited? Before no, before they even played a game together, and this got Eagles fans very upset. <clears throat> I said the AJ Brown, Devontae Smith are the most talented tandem of receivers the Eagles have ever had. I didn't say they were the best because that involves production and longevity and doing it over a long period of time. Right. But by far the most talented uh, duo. And you've seen it now, year plus. Yeah, AJ's a different level. The only other receiver you compare him to is Terrell Owens, who was here for a very short period of time. 
Um, to put it mildly, AJ's a better citizen, a better teammate. Uh, he's a team captain. Um, Nick Sirianni called him the best person on the team. Um, he's a good guy. He does everything the right way. Um, and he's a, a tremendous football player. Um, no, it's not, uh, you're not jumping the gun. He's, he's one of the best receivers the Eagles have ever had. He's on a very short list. Eagles fans, y'all heard her here first, man. <laughs> one of the best to ever do it. Probably, probably is the best to ever do it for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, John, would you say he's a, would you say right now, top three receiver in the league? Boy, you know, that's tough. He's in the conversation. I mean, you know, if you, I, I would put my top three would be in no particular order. Uh, Tyreek Hill, Justin Jefferson, Devontae Adams. Mm. Um, Jefferson's hurts right now. Um, he's on IR with a hamstring. Um, Devontae Adams is in a bad situation. I will say he's playing better than anybody. I mean, nobody's ever done this before. Um, you know, is he better than Tyreek Hill? Pick your flavor, right? Do you like vanilla? You like chocolate? You like strawberry? Pick your flavor, right? Is he better than Justin Jefferson when Justin's healthy? I don't know. That's tough. But Devontae Adams um, he's the best route runner maybe I've ever seen. Um, I don't know. But to be in the conversation with those guys, it's pretty good. Absolutely. Um, I want to definitely shift gears to the defense side of the ball. You know, we've you know we've uh, lauded this Eagles offense uh, enough, man. Obviously, Hurts and A.J. Brown deserve it. But this defense, man, um, they were pretty abysmal on third down. It seemed like they had a hard time getting uh, Sam Howell in that offense off the field. I mean, um, again, Sam Howell plays um, – uh, one of the best games of his young career. He actually, uh, he, he, he actually won up his previous performance versus the Eagles. So I mean, um, four touchdowns, one interception, three hundred ninety-seven uh, passing yards. You almost let this young man throw for four hundred yards on you. That, that's it. Kind of speaks to what we talked about earlier this week, right? The fact that this team is really led by their pass rush, and if the pass rush isn't getting home, which they really didn't, um, any quarterback can pretty much have their way with this, uh, you know, with this uh, passing defense. Yeah, I, it, you know, and I've been saying that for a while, and, and you kind of saw, saw it in short doses with the Rams game, the first half of the Rams game, um, even the first couple drives in Tampa Bay before things went off the rails for the Buccaneers. You saw it in short doses that if teams could hold up in pass protection, the back end was going to have some difficulty. Um, and you saw it again today. It'll be interesting. You know, this is why this league is so crazy. They play Miami. Everybody, nobody can shut up about Miami. Greatest offense since the Rams. Greatest show on turf. 37 points a game. 500 yards a game. They give up 244 yards to that team and 10 points. Um, it was 17 in the game, but remember one was a pick six. And they give up 244. And then Washington, which can't do a damn thing against the New York Giants, who've been an abject disaster this year, 472 yards. 
and 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 31 points and probably could have had more if Terry McLaurin didn't drop a couple passes, like I said. Um, yeah, it was not a good day for the defense. And we'll see. I, I really do think Eric Bieniemy had a great game plan. Um, and people are going to harp on one sack and say, oh, the Eagles pass rush didn't get home. How are you getting home? So, you know, quick bubble screams, how, how are you getting home? Right. That that means the back end, you can you can let the reception up, but you got to be uh, a little bit tighter in coverage. You got to make sure there's no yards after catch down the middle of the field, which has been a problem all year, uh, was a big problem today. Um, but you know, to give him credit, uh, Sam Howell, who had been you know beasting in the middle of the field, that's what he threw. He's just a little bit off. Uh, on the interception of Reed Blankenship, and Reed was right there, and it goes the other way. And that's how quick, you know, that's how thin the margin can be between success and failure at times. But if teams look at this and say, all right, this is how we're going to attack the Eagles, they they have to make some adjustments. Yeah, absolutely. Uh Two guys who stood out to me who didn't really have the best of games. You mentioned one already in Reed Blankenship. He made up for it with the interception, but overall, not really a tight game. Um, Nicobe Dean, man, um, he's a guy that the Eagles have been trying to get back on the field. And so far, I haven't really uh, been too impressed with um, his play over the past couple weeks or since he's been back. What, you know, what were your overall thoughts on that linebacker core? Again, uh, you mentioned it. They, they were getting pretty much carved up in the middle of that field. Um, which, again, the weakness of this Philadelphia Eagles defense, uh, the linebackers and the safeties, I mean, you add in Kevin Byers, so you kind of uh, piecemeal that and you improve that to a, uh, to a degree. Uh, eventually, he has to acclimate himself in this defense much more. But what was your evaluation um, of these linebackers today, man? It seems like they had a hard time with the tight ends. They just, you know, they were just pretty much doing a lot of chasing today. Yeah, Nicobe uh, had a lot of tackles today, but he, he was he struggled in coverage. Uh, no doubt about it. Um, Nick Morrow as well. I thought Zach Cunningham made some decent plays with his length. Um, he was the only one who kind of held up a little bit. Um, but I thought Cindy Brown made some nice plays in, in um, at times. But as, as we expected with a young rookie, maybe the consistency isn't there from play to play. And I, I don't like this piecemeal approach. Um, you know, with Sydney playing early downs and Eli Ricks coming in and playing on obvious passing downs. I don't think that worked out well. And then, you know, you had some growing pains. I mean, Kevin Kevin Byard had been here for a week, less than a week, really. Um, and he's got to play essentially the whole game. And uh, Reed Blankenship was coming off a week where he didn't play. And he had his worst game of the year. Um, until that interception, which kind of, you know, that'll erase some of the some of the bad taste. But he didn't play well overall. It was just a bad performance by the back seven. Um, you know, Jordan Davis, not 100%, but was able to go. Jalen Carter got hurt, lower back injury. We have to keep an eye on that because when he's not out there, they're not the same team. Um you know, Reddick did some nice things. He finally gets home late in the game, uh, strip sack. Um, Josh Sweat played well as usual. But, yeah, when you don't see those sack numbers, people assume 
the defensive front isn't isn't playing well, but I don't think that was the case. I think they played well. I think the back seven did not play well. Again, what screens off the page to me is lack of continuity on the back end. You know, like you mentioned, Kevin Byer, new guy comes in. Uh, Reed Blankenship didn't play last week. All of a sudden, you're throwing him back in there now. Um, Sydney, uh, Sydney Brown still getting his legs under him after missing uh, several weeks with the uh, hamstring. Uh, you're going back and forth between him and Eli Ricks in the slot. I mean, that just seems like a recipe for disaster, you know, with your DBs. Yeah, it, and it it is. And anytime you have, as I said, all those moving parts, it it it's a little bit different. We've been talking about communication all year. I mean, the Eagles. And that's what his defense is based off of communication. If you keep changing the voices, yeah. I mean, who are you listening to well, at this point? Um, you know, I asked James Bradbury this this week during the week leading up to the game. Have you ever been a part of something like this? They use seven nickel corners coming into this game. Um, and they're back to Sidney Brown and some Eli Ricks. And who knows? They might get back to Bradley Roby. The deadline's coming up on Tuesday. Howie wants to make another move. It might be a linebacker. It might be a slot corner. Um, you know, there might be more change. But one thing I know is when things finally do settle down past Tuesday, the trade deadline's Tuesday, got to settle on somebody. Can't be this piecemeal stuff because it's not working. It's not working. So at this point, right, everything we know, everything we've seen, um, especially in this game, I want to know, John, uh, who, by your estimation, uh, were the players of the game, you know, for the Philadelphia Eagles, right? Um, obviously, we talked about, you know, the, uh, the game breakers on offense. Um, defense didn't really have their best day. But who were, you know, who were your standouts? Who were your players of the game who pretty much shifted the tide? Who, uh, who, who were the who pretty much shifted the momentum of this game for the Philadelphia Eagles? Well, yeah, offensively, you can choose a lot of guys, but certainly Jalen Hurts. Um, but I would I would lean towards A.J. Brown for, for making history. Um, just from that standpoint, I would, I would lean towards A.J. But, you know, Jalen is the quarterback, and, you know, he's probably more responsible for the win. But for this week, I'm going to go A.J. Um, defensively, it's tough. Um, you know, you can go read because he made the big play, but again, I think overall he didn't he didn't have a great game. I would say the best eagle on my first sort of eye test watch was probably Hassan Reddick, probably who's been playing very well since he got that cast off his thumb. Um, he's been playing like the Hassan Reddick of, of last season, and um, he was the one guy who you know, was creating some issues, not only uh, in the pass rush, but little they had because they were getting the football out so quickly, but also in the run game, which is, I think people are surprised how good of a run defender Hassan is because he's so small for a, essentially a defensive end, um, even though they call him a linebacker. Um, he does a tremendous job. Uh, in that aspect, and I think he's playing very well. But you know, when you give up 497 yards, nobody's gonna uh, be breaking <laughs> down door to say, "Hey, good job, defense." I mean, yeah, I totally understand it. But you know, you said it yourself, or Hassan Reddick. You know, his ability to just play the edge, and he's such a tremendous uh, run defender at this point in his career, um, despite his size. And then a guy who just has 
an innate ability to just show up in the biggest of moments. I mean, this guy is just a closer, John. Like, we, you know, at the beginning of the season, you know, things were kind of, you know, looming in terms of his contract and um, was he happy with it, him being underpaid, so on and so forth. Um, this is going to be a very interesting offseason, and obviously I'm jumping very, very far ahead, but I've been thinking about this. Hassan Reddick and Josh Sweat, they're both going to be in contract years um, after this season. Um, how, how do you expect Harry Roseman to navigate this thing, man? When you have two dynamic pass rushers like those two guys, man, especially again Reddick, you know, I'm you know I'm calling him the Chronicles Reddick, man, because he just he just seems uh he just seems indefensible at this point. Yeah, I I, I mean Hassan is already underpaid, and so is Josh, and they both signed extensions. That's part of the reason how he's good at his job. But you know, I don't worry about how we fitting things in. Um, Edge rusher is a position that has exploded uh, on the market. So you're going to have to catch up to that if you're the Eagles at some point. And you're going to have to make some difficult decisions. Kind of depends on other guys developing, you know. Um, obviously, you know, we're getting near the end of, of Fletcher Cox. We're getting near the end of, of, of Brandon Grant. Um, so, you know. Most of the younger talent is inside with Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter. Um, so I think they'll be able to keep both Hassan Reddick. Hassan loves it here. Obviously, he's from South Jersey, uh, went, went to school at Temple. Um, loves the area, loves the team, loves the organization. As long as you pay him a fair market rate, I don't think you're going to have issues. And same thing with Josh. I mean, Josh loves the you know, the Eagles gave him an opportunity, and that's why he gave him sort of a bit of a discount uh, when he signed his extension. So, and they don't really have air parents ready to go. Um, they have good depth, but Brandon's 35, Derek Barnett. We all know he might not even be here Tuesday. Who knows? Right. Nolan um, Smith is pretty, you know, pretty wet behind the ears, a young guy, not yeah, really ready Nolan, to go. Nolan's very young, and obviously he has a big upside. Um, but he's got a long way to go. So, um, yeah, they get, they got to make those guys happy. All right. A couple more, John, before I let you go, man, I know you got a long ride back from, uh, from Maryland all the way back to, uh, Philadelphia. So I want to get a couple more in, you know, so I can let you break down and do your thing. Um, let's, you know, we talked about that. We briefly touched on some injuries that happened throughout this game. Can you give us a, a final update from today's injury report post game wise? Well, the Eagles aren't giving any updates, uh, um, but uh, Jalen Carter is the one I'm most concerned about because he didn't return to the game with some back problems. Uh, Suo Peta got banged up, but he returned. He got to see Tyler Steen uh, take his first snaps as a rookie at right guard, but Suo was able to return. As I mentioned, Jordan Davis was banged up with a hamstring coming in, but he seemed to persevere and get through it. Um, uh, and we'll see how that moves uh, moving forward. Grant Alcatara left with a concussion, so he's going to have to go into protocol. We'll see how serious it is. But uh, um, Jalen Carter will be the most um, – you got to keep an eye on that one. All right. Final question for you, John. Dallas Cowboys won today. Now they're 5-2. and two. Eagles obviously won today. Now they're 7-1. and one. The Washington Commanders lost. The New York Giants lost a nail-biter against the New York Jets. This is clearly, at this point in the season, a two-team race. Eagles got the Dallas Cowboys next Sunday. 
you know, so far, what are your early thoughts on that matchup based on everything we've seen today from the Philadelphia Eagles? The Cowboys pretty much took it to the Los Angeles Rams. They had a very, very good game. Let's call it what it is. All three phases of the ball worked in their favor, offense, defense, and special teams. Eagles got them at home right now. Um, what's your early um, evaluation of that matchup and your evaluation of the NFC East right now? Um, yeah, well, you're, you're right. It's a two-horse race, obviously. And, you know, I said that before the season. It's it's borne out that way. Um, I know Eagles fans don't like it, but Dallas is a very talented team. And these two games that they play against each other will sort of tell the tale of this division. And obviously the Eagles want to win, get the number one seed. San Francisco's losing again. We'll see if they Cincinnati can hold on. So it's all about getting that number one seed. And if San Francisco, as they're going through this stretch, keeps falling back, um, it becomes the Dallas Cowboys as the lead threat for that potential number one seed. You also have to throw Detroit in there, but you know they had such a poor performance uh, in Baltimore last week. I I'm not sure they're ready. Um, the Cowboys, though, are talented. But I will say they're not as consistent as the Eagles. Mm. Uh, but when they when they bring their A game, they can beat anybody. They can beat anybody. There you have it, Eagles fans. Your Philadelphia Eagles took you to the uh, the Washington Commanders, beating them in the shootout, 38-31. Again, Jalen Hurts had a tremendous game, completing 76% of his passes, going 29 for 38, 319 passing yards, uh, four passing TDs, one fumble loss, no interceptions, though, so he managed to uh, recoup that. Uh, A.J. Brown, eight catches on eight targets, 130 receiving yards, two touchdowns. Devontae Smith, seven catches on seven targets. Uh, a touchdown with 99 yards. And then Julio Jones gave us uh, an appearance with a very crucial uh, touchdown as well. So, listen, your Philadelphia Eagles offense, at least from a passing perspective, or passing perspective, right, they are doing a tremendous job. Jalen Hurts took it to the commanders from the pocket. Despite the fumble loss, he buckered down, and he couldn't really get things going on the ground, obviously because of that, you know, that little hitch in the knee. But to be able to dominate from the pocket the way he did, pretty much playing from behind most of this game, that goes to that's something to add on to the resume. That's a guy that's a guy that deserves a lot much more respect than he gets already in this NFL. Um, John, um, any uh, any final words? Anything you're working on right now for SI.com, JacobSports.com? Just uh, tell the people where they can find your work, man. Um, Eagles win, obviously 38-31. So they take this in. You can read me at SI.com, as you mentioned, backslash NFL backslash Eagles, um, JacobSports.com. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm going to write about the dichotomy sort of one week to the next about shutting down the best offensive football and not being able to to handle the Washington commanders until late in the game. Uh, tells you about the NFL, man. It's week to week. It's league. a week to week so league, man. Week to week. It doesn't matter who beat who. Don't get caught up in, in one week at a time. But what you can get caught up in, and I'm surprised more people in Philadelphia aren't getting caught up in, this team finds ways to win. You need that in the playoffs. Might be different ways. Might be different ways each week. But when you can find different ways to win and you can persevere each and every week, that that puts you on top of the, the heap. There you have it, Eagles fans. He's John McMullen, our Eagles insider on Jacob Sports. I'm your guy, Tony DeShields II. You guys were locked in on a special edition of the Pondley Hockey Post Game Show. Again, this is John McMullen. I'm Tony DeShields II. You filled up Eagles are 7-1, and they got the Dallas Cowboys next week. It's going to be a fun one, you guys. Take care, and we'll see you next time. 
when it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messon Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia.